Hey everybody, this is Evan here. I just wanted to put out a little disclaimer. We recorded this episode a while ago, Chip and I. Um, really excited for you guys to hear it, but we were using our old software. So there is a little bit of a disconnect on the timing. Sometimes it sounds like we're interrupting, interrupting each other. I can promise you that's only because the software just uh, mixed our voices a little bit and uh, got us onto different times. But um, I still think you have a good time listening and really excited for everyone to give their uh, feedback on our spooky movie episode. So um, have fun. Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. This is Evan Fagundis, your co-host. Um, as Jed mentioned last week, he is out of town this week. So this week, co-hosting with me, I have uh, a regular guest of the pod, best friend of the pod, Chip. Chip, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Evan. I've been soaking in the vile filth of horror movies all week in anticipation for this episode lost some sleep but it was well worth it and i'm very much looking forward to this conversation yes absolutely you know soaking in the vile filth is a perfect way to put it because i don't know if i've had a solid night's sleep for about seven days in a row now but i'm honestly loving it um and I got to start. This is your first time co-hosting, or at least just, you know, two of us being on the pod. Um, how are you feeling? Are you excited that your first episode that you're co-hosting is going to be horror? I, oh, I'm so excited. Like, I can't think of a of a more fun and ridiculous genre that I can <laughs> go on this journey with you. I, we were talking before we started recording about how Jed is such, he's such a ham when he's mm-hmm. opening yes. a pod and, and he, he runs the show so well and horror is, you know, a genre that kind of runs away from the, the form and structure that he and professionalism that he can bring to a show. Like yes. this. So it kind of works that he's not here for us to just fuck around. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. And we will a hundred percent be just fucking around this whole podcast. Um, I think last week I said it was like Jed was the dad leaving the two kids with 20 mm-hmm. bucks for pizza and just kind of saying like, have a good weekend. That's totally the vibe that we're going for with this episode. I'm sure he's going to laugh when he hears it, but we're just here to have a great time because I think, you know, just to kick it off, horror to me is just having a great time. And sometimes that having a great time is having a really bad time. And it's hard to explain exactly what that means, but um, horror just makes you feel stuff. And I think we're going to talk about that a lot as we go, but it's a real visceral genre more so than, the dramas that we talk about or some of the like more Oscar bait type movies, which involve people in rooms talking. Um, There's just, those movies are great, but they just don't provide you that like pounding chest, losing your breath type of feeling. And horror movies do that even when there's shit and they're not good. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit too, but I think a good place to start specifically with horror is Tell me a little bit, Chip, about your introduction to horror. Like, when did you first get into it? How did you first get into it? And, and uh, yeah, just from the beginning. Yeah, it probably took me a solid 20 or 21 years to really warm up to horror movies. I'm, I'm 23 now, so that's most of my life. Um, yep. 
so to recognize like what the genre can actually bring to the film industry beyond just your cheap scares of the conjuring franchise or your Friday, the 13th, the nightmares on Elm streets. And those are all, mm -hmm. those are all fine, but those movies don't always connect with me. And in some senses, those movies are almost more scary than some of the movies I yep. think I'm going to talk about on this list, but that's all they mm -hmm. are is they can just be those empty scares. They don't have a, a sense of reward or purpose behind them. The empty scares just make me lose sleep. The horror movies that I've come to love that I think we'll talk about here, they all lose sleep because of some traditional scares and, and, and things that they offer. But more importantly, right. because they've, they've planted a new and disturbing worldview in my yeah. brain that I just can't shake. And there's a part of me that loves those sleepless nights that relishes this more thoughtful evil truth that a well-made horror movie clings to. Uh, I just need that sometimes I'm this, you know, jaded, I'm, I'm a uh, hybrid millennial zoomer generation and this right. jaded, I'm part of this jaded generation that needs that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I was just loving that whole, that whole bit that you just gave me. Cause I completely agree. And I think that's a big thing about, horror movies nowadays and sometimes it can be a little bit of a negative no doubt um but these horror movies are really trying to say something to me and i don't know if that's i know horror movies back in the day always used to do the same um but there's definitely some writing about this online about how horror movies in the modern day really are trying to be pretty direct like allegories and um and try to get kind of beyond like oh i'm scared because something is jumping out of the closet sometimes leading to like that something jumping out of the closet is like my dead sister hmm. because of the thoughts that I have, blah, blah, blah. Like right. that is great as well. Sometimes it can go a little bit over the top, but um, yeah, these horror movies are definitely doing something. And I'd say my list is a little bit of a mixture between that, like really trying to tell us a real story, really trying to dig to like a personal truth. And then also just like scaring the shit out of you for an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. Um, nice. The duality so, of man. Yes. Exactly. The duality of man. These are two men dueling uh, <laughs> about the duality of man involved in horror. So I think that is um, that's a great kickoff for us. And then the only other thing that I really wanted to ask you uh, about horror, because I was going to ask you why you love horror, but I feel like we're going to get to that in the top five. And mm -hmm. you kind of answered it there and how you got into it, because you did get into it later in life. I will say myself, um, I very hesitantly watched horror movies when I was younger and it probably wasn't until I was like 17, 18, 19, getting into college that I really was like, okay, I'm going to start sitting down and really evaluating these. Yeah. Um, so last thing really quickly, give me your like elevator pitch description of horror. What do you consider a horror movie chip? That's such a tough question. I think horror might be the most difficult genre to truly pin down um, because there's so many movies uh, that have elements of horror that, you know, feature for a scene or two um, that, that bring those, those scares in. But I think the, the true definition of horror, it has to involve some sort of uh, supernatural force, I think. I think okay. it could be paranormal, mythological, it could be psychological, it could be all you know in the mind rather than um, actually occurring in the physical world. Yep. I think it needs some sort of um, elemental force that is combating you know, the protagonist or, uh, or the hero. Yeah. And 
I think that the more absurd and supernatural, the the better and the more uh, close to horror it gets. You, know, you can look at a serial killer movie like uh, like Seven, you know, that has elements yeah. of horror, but it right. doesn't it doesn't take that next step. Now, if if right. uh, Kevin Spacey was you know the devil himself in that movie, maybe that's a horror movie. Right. But it's it, it, mm-hmm. it toes that line, but doesn't get there. I think it needs to jump that level to become a horror movie. Okay. So answer me this. What if in seven, like three of the murders in seven, they actually show you on screen? Does that make it a horror movie for you? Like getting a little closer to like a Saw type movie or something? Yeah, uh, I th- I think so. Because that's that gets into like the, the quote unquote torture porn category of horror. Yep. And if it showed, yes, that's another like the bloody disgusting type of horror. That, that visceral yeah. feeling you were referring to earlier, I think that in and of itself is a horror genre. So if it did show yeah. the more disgusting acts of, of of murder being committed, yeah, that would probably be a true horror as well. Okay. I, I completely agree with you. Um, similar, uh, obviously, David Fincher really toes this line a lot. Like, similar as Zodiac. Um, I think it actually gets even closer to horror in Zodiac because of, like, the scene at Lake Berryessa and stuff really toes the line on, like, actually having to turn away and not look which is something that i associate with horror like honestly sometimes when i'm thinking about what makes a horror movie it's a movie that at some point throughout the movie or multiple points i'm like having to urge myself not to put my hands over my face yes correct um and that's something that i use almost as a barometer like at some point in this movie did i actually say like holy shit maybe i shouldn't watch this so i can sleep tonight and get up for work tomorrow you know like um I have a real loose definition and I'm really excited to like dig into this a little bit more as we go. Cause this will for sure come up throughout our list. I'm sure we might have some disagreements. I'm looking forward to that. Like we said, we are two 12 year olds ordering pizza on a weekend at home alone. So we are, I hope going to disagree a couple of times and have a great time, but moving on, I think it's time for top five. Are you feeling like we can hop into top five? Is there anything else just on the broad scope of horror that you think we should hit? Uh, I think if we if we do come to that, we'll find it on our list because I I'm ready to. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that we zig and zag, you know, at each other. Yes. I'm I'm really hoping that happens. I don't know if it will, but I'm hoping it does. I I hope it does too. And if not, we can manufacture something. We can be like the <laughs> WWE. Exactly. Um, and just a reminder for everyone. I know I didn't say it at the top. These are our top five scary slash horror movies post 2000 2000 to 2021 yes. um just in case you know just so we don't get hate mail about not including the shining or something like right. that so 2000 to 2001 top fives coming up right now all right perfect now we are gonna hop into our top fives and chip um first time co-hosting and honestly pretty soon we're gonna just start calling you a co-host in your own right uh, i think you've gotten to that point but you are definitely kicking us off. So give me your number five scary movie, 2000 to 2021. Evan, I'm going to go for it with this one. I'm really going to go for it. Please and do. it's it's funny because this Please. is going to contradict so much of what I said about love about horror. <laughs> That's what we're here to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> uh, everything I just said, ignore. Because my number five pick is the 2004 film Saw. Nice. This, wow. Hell this yeah. might be – it's the most – irredeemable movie on my list in terms of like what value it brings to the world and what direction it brought filmmaking both in and out of horror but 
if you look at Saw as a piece of culture from the early 2000s, it's such it's the stuff of legend. It's this era of mm-hmm. George Bush, post 9-11, Iraq yes. War, nuclear weapons, Saddam Hussein. You know, Eminem is the most important person in the world when this movie comes out. And the people who wrote and produced and directed this movie were listening to Eminem when they were constructing yeah. Jigsaw's game and making these gruesome choices for the for the characters involved. It's it's not a pleasant movie. It's very far from subtle, but I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It it makes no claim to be subtle. But yeah. it also doesn't fall into a meta trap that I think some other horror movies fall into. Cough, cough, cabin in the woods. It stands uh-huh. on its own filthy ground. It it's so weird because there's like a lot of really great actors in this, like Danny Glover, but none of them are there none are, of them yeah. are that great. <laughs> Danny, he no. play, he's this insane detective. He's basically like, what if yeah. Morgan Freeman and Seven went insane? And it's like nothing. It, it makes right. no sense. Carrie Elwes, you know, our dear boy Wesley from Princess Bride, he he's over the top. He can't even control his British accent when he's sawing through his leg. But it is a shock of pure, gross, disgusting adrenaline. And and I love it. And what really seals the movie is that plot twist. You know, we're going to talk about spoilers this podcast. It's that plot twist with Jigsaw rising from the floor in the closing shot. Those those infamous yeah. uh, strings from the theme song, swallowing Adam screams on the floor as Jigsaw throws the door shut. It it's such a great twist, and this is kind of after plot twists had their heyday with movies like The Sixth Sense and The Usual Suspects in yes. the late nineties. Yep, but it still stands on its own. The execution and the shock of it it stands on its own. Hundred percent agree. Um, this is one of those movies. I feel like that just unabashedly was like, we are going to try to shock Mm. you. They didn't try to dance around it. I like what you're saying. Like it knew exactly what it was. And it was just like, you are going to watch a guy saw his leg off. Like there was no if, ands or buts about it. That's just what you were going to do. And I love what you were saying. And and we're going to get into it with my number five as well. As far as like the post 9-11 George Bush type movie making, it goes across all movie making, but especially horror movies. A lot of it is centered around like, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you are. This can happen to anyone for no reason. And I think that's like a really interesting idea. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty terrifying idea to not even have the old eighties cliche of like, yes, if you have sex in a cabin and you're under 25 years old, you're going to die. But now it's like, you could just be walking down the street as a normal person and then wake up and have to saw your leg off. Like, so I think that's a that's a real um, and this is one of the you know forebears of that of that type of idea. So I love that you started it off with saw. I have this on my honorable mentions. It was one of my last cuts. So great, great choice. And I wanted to ask you: Have you watched all this like all the subsequent saw? I've movies? seen a couple here and there. Um, I saw the yeah. one. I I couldn't tell you which one it is, but there's one that has uh, Chester Bennington, God rest his soul. As a oh, neo-Nazi, yeah. which like as a fan of his, it really hurt to see him give that performance because it was a little bit too realistic. And I was like, I don't like, I'm a fan right. of you, Chester. Um, and You're I've right. seen like you know, the, the the recommended YouTube clips come up all the time of the different traps. And uh, those are those are sometimes, uh, quote unquote, fun to watch on a Friday night. Just get in a rabbit hole right. of saw traps. Yeah, I, I don't I'm not. Well, I, I will be checking for the new one, though. Spiral with Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. Holy shit. Heard great. That, yes. 
that is yeah. a fascinating concept. And I mean, they show the shot in the trailer of Chris Rock holding a saw, looking at his leg, and it's like, are we going back there? Are we are we going back to the core? And yeah, that that is a highly anticipated movie on my list. Yeah, returning to the roots. I am definitely looking forward to uh to seeing that as well. And I'm the same way. I've seen about like maybe two or three of the follow-ups. Um, and some of them are like some of the torture porn really does get me. I mean, my stomach legitimately gets like queasy and stuff. So sometimes it is easier to watch it like in YouTube, like short portions than to just sit through like an hour 45 of six of these, you know, insane entrapments that lead to uh to pretty gruesome deaths. So great pick. Love that you started with, uh, with saw. That's an absolute two thousands classic. No doubt about it. Um, my number five is coming a few years later. 2008. I knew it. I knew this is what you were going to do from what you said. Fuck yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you had it. Um, written and directed by Brian Bertino, who uh, I haven't heard of before or since. Um, and it stars Liv Tyler, which is pretty cool, and Scott Speedman, like actual real actors. Um, basically, a couple in distress, both in the relationship and physically in the movie. Um, and they're tormented by faceless killers. This is completely three people in mass come to a secluded rural home, um, vacation home for these couple for this couple to torture and kill them for no reason other than as one of the killers says at the end of the movie, yeah. they were home. And that's just a horrifying concept. And I will say, as far as like my personal um, you know, feelings towards this movie goes. It's one of the first horror movies that I ever watched. Um, it came out when I was about 12, and I probably watched it when I was about 13. And by watched, I mean didn't cover my eyes, nothing like that. Like, actually watched it. Scared the absolute shit out of me. And it involves, you know, it's just a whole lot of fun. It involves the idea um, that I think is the absolute, absolute most horrifying that I can possibly think of. And that's, I'm in my home, and there's somebody else in my house. Like when you turn around really quickly, like when you walk out of the kitchen in the dark or something and you just expect to see that face, this movie actually has the face standing there in the background. Um, and it just scared the hell out of me. And it just, it's paced really well. We talk about, a, you know, a cool hour 30. I believe this one's like an hour 38 or something like that. It's paced really well. It hits you in, in all the different like fear centers ends with a pretty gruesome killing. Um, and just is is a wild ride along the ways. I'm interested. Are you are you familiar with the strangers? Are you? Yep, that, that's all movie? my honorable mentions. Um, it's it might be the scariest movie we talk about today. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> it, it might be. It is sheer terror. Those those performances. It, it balances the jump scares with the uh, primal fear in the performances. The the yeah. the terror that that Liv Tyler can take on her face. Um, it is truly god awful disturbing. That's uh, that's a movie you watch and you'll you'll never like walk into your kitchen at night without a flashlight, without turning every single light on, exactly. you know, in your house. Um, yep. You're you're gonna like cover up every corner in your room so you don't like mistake a blanket for someone's face. <laughs> that, that's the effect exactly. it has on you. It's extremely effective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you close your blinds. Like, that's the one that I remember when she's in the kitchen and she opens oh. up those blinds and the dude in the mask is standing there. Like, not only one of the craziest jump scares ever, lots of these movies have crazy jump scares, 
it's really one of those things that you're just like, I wash dishes at night every once in a while. Like, what do I do now when I wash dishes at night? Like to this day, and I've probably seen it four or five times now. I, I recommend it to a lot of people and we'll watch it with friends if they haven't seen it. Um, man, this movie just is really, truly horrifying. It, it hits all the points of like somebody knocking on your door at night. What do you do? Somebody standing outside of your window. What do you do? What do you do if you feel like somebody's in your house? Cause things are moving around your house while you're turned away. Um, man, this is a great one. I think, I'm, I'm glad that we started off with the strangers and saw, cause I feel like they're in a real similar yeah. like bubble there um, in the early to mid like two thousands period. So great, great start by us as always. We're doing a hell of a job. So um, moving on number four, Chip. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a completely different place. Maybe the most controversial movie we'll talk about today. I'm going to talk about okay. mother. And uh, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bummed <laughs> because someone started a Twitter discourse on this last week and I was excited to like bring mother back into the discourse and someone else beat me to it, but that's okay. Uh, mother's a 2017 film. It's directed by Darren Aronofsky. It's, it's got uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem. It's got Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, a couple other folks. It is a story that stacks allegory that. on allegory on metaphor on metaphor. Um, and it's, a, it's, right. I love stories that find their root in the Bible, I think maybe you might be able to relate to this, Evan. You're a product of yeah. religious school as well. Yeah. There are a million right. different stories that this movie tackles. The fall of man, uh, the birth and death of Christ in, I mean, the, the last 10 minutes of this mm -hmm. movie might be the most fucked 10 minutes I've ever seen. Uh, I almost don't even want to talk about it, but it's, it's the birth and death of Christ is on full display. There's obviously religious extremism, yep. the inerrancy of the Bible, most importantly, at least in like our modern times, I think is the kind of environmental themes in this movie. Jennifer Lawrence portrays a mother nature type, essentially uh, almost personified. And the movie looks at how resources on our earth are shared and displaced and stolen and stomped on and broken. There's the overpopulation and desecration of earth. And it's terrifying because in Aronofsky's world, his God figure Bardem is sanctioning this desecration of earth. Like his in Genesis, God mm -hmm. tells man to subdue and dominate the earth. And in a really frightening way, God in this world is just as guilty to our earth's destruction, despite the earth's pleas and cries to save her. Bardem is complicit. He gives permission to, and in some sense goads on the destruction of Lawrence and child and house really disturbing way to look at God. Um, but endlessly fascinating for me. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible in this. She's like 60 years old. She's pure evil she and is. also extremely hot. And I don't know what to do with that information, but I, I, I need to, <laughs> I need to speak my truth. It, is this, is this Jennifer oh, Lawrence's man. best performance? Do you think Evan? Cause I think it is. Oh man. Um, you know, and this can get into a larger Jennifer Lawrence conversation. I'm a big fan of Jennifer Lawrence. I think Jennifer Lawrence is an, is good. Is, is that something that you agree with? Because there are a lot of people who say she's just flat out bad. I wouldn't. I'd fall in the middle, which is a total cop out. She's not flat out bad. There, okay. I, there are movies that I okay. think she's bad in. I think that almost every X Men movie she's in, she okay. just is, is just not a good performance at all. Oh, hundred percent. Hey, check. listen, I, I can't hate you for cash and checks. You know, get your bag up. The, hey. 
I want her to do these kind 100%. of movies more because it plays on her her strengths. Yeah. She kind of has a bit of confusion and anxious energy that she brings to a lot of her roles. And this movie capitalizes on that to a, yeah. a gruesome extreme. Um, and I look at those, those, those moments yeah. with her and Bardem that are a little bit more like those kind of domestic drama moments. And I, I really like those moments because they're less allegorical, like a lot of the movie, and they're more true to these human relationships, you know, wrapped in, in fame and sexual right. hangups. It's those moments that kind of glue the film's allegories and disturbing images together and create this, this visual masterpiece that like probably shouldn't exist for how fucked up it is with such big names and budget and wide release. Right. To make this movie, to distribute it, this excruciatingly difficult painting of the Bible, it's, it's a miracle that this film came out like it did and the the way it was received is not surprising at all it really it's is. one of the only movies to ever get an f on a cinema score there's like 12 movies ever that have gotten that and i i don't know if i blame it for getting that great but it it's fantastic it so that's interesting and, and just to jump back to to jay law for just a second um you know a movie as her career as a whole is a movie and a performance that really has an oscillating um, kind of like internet view is Silver Linings Playbook. I will say I really enjoy that movie and I think she's awesome in that movie. And I don't know if it's just because of where I was in my life when I first saw it, I was a little bit younger. Um, I just thought she was great. And some of the things that people you know talk about as far as her going over the top, maybe at the time I just didn't quite recognize. So it's just imprinted in my brain that she was just so good. But I do really love her in this movie. I think she's great. And as we've talked about before, Javier Bardem is like one of my favorite actors ever. Um, you know, I'm glad this is on your list. I'm glad you got to talk about it. You were very eloquent in how you talked about this movie. I've only seen it one time. And I'll tell you what, after the one time that I saw it, I was like, I yeah. never want to see that movie again. And I don't even, I don't even think it was because it was bad in my mind. Um, I was just one, it gets very confusing during the whole like riot, um, like kind of end of the world type aspect towards the end, it gets a little bit confusing. And then as you talked about the, the life and death of the Christ or like the Jesus Christ figure in the movie. Um, yeah. Fair to say it fucked me up pretty bad. I was just like, what the hell just happened? Why did I watch that? Like, it, did this movie deserve to be able to put me through that? Um, and just honestly haven't examined it a ton since. So I'm going to revisit because I love that you picked it. I love that this movie is back in the consciousness because at the time it was like all anyone could talk about for like two months. So I, I think uh, this might be the only that movie pick. that Thank we need to like almost give a list. trigger warning for just because of how disturbing the ending is so legitimately do your due diligence you know please watch all these movies but do your due diligence especially with this film embrace yourself for what's coming yeah give it a google mother exclamation point that give it a google see what see what you think and actually you know we were we were vibing with saw and the strangers and then mother probably needs a trigger warning and another movie at number four for me that I think deserves a trigger warning to go on ah, with Mother yes. Ah, yes. We have not had much of a chance. I'll tell you what, Chip and I talk movies a lot. 
I've talked about this movie a lot. He hasn't responded very much specifically about it. So I am very interested to hear his take on this movie. But my number four pick is Midsommar. It came out in 2019. I've talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again, uh, specifically from the horror aspect of this movie. It's written and directed by Ari Aster. Florence Pugh, the goddess of this podcast, is in this movie. Jack Rayner is in this movie, amongst uh, others. It's a very good cast. Um, This is a daytime horror movie, and that's one of the first things that draws me to it. It's incredibly unique. Uh, there are other daytime horror movies, like even Texas Chainsaw Massacre has some pretty wide open, like broad daylight scenes. But this movie is almost 100% told in the daylight. There are a couple throwaway scenes at night. Um, one kind of scary one, but for the most part, you are being horrified in the daytime. I think that's very cool. Um, I also love this production and the production value of this movie and the sets of this movie are huge. And often in these scary movies, we talk about Saw, we talk about The Strangers, right? It is one house for the most part, or like one or two sets that we're working off of. That's why some of these movies cost $3 million, you know, and make 150 and make crazy profits. Like this movie actually costs money. It's a huge set that they're working on. It's essentially a massive set that they built out like six different houses on. Um, I love the impending doom. In this movie, you're sitting there in the daylight, it's gorgeous, and you just know some fucked up shit is coming. And the fucked up shit does come. Like, we're talking about, uh, um, uh, like, torture porn. There are a couple scenes in this movie that are hard to watch. Like, they are um, gruesome and unflinching. And I love the acting in this movie. I love the direction in this movie. Um, I really love the story that it's telling as far as somebody handling incredible grief and what it really takes to get over a grief like that and what somebody in that situation actually needs um and let me tell you florence Pugh in this movie needs a lot more than what jack rayner's character can give her and i think this movie is just kind of taking that above and beyond um but it's a movie that i i love and i've seen a bunch just in the last year and a half and i'm ranting a lot but chip tell me what do you think yeah, about i like Midsommar i like the movie um i i enjoy Ari Aster's direction. I think sometimes he's a little bit cute. He's like, hey, I'm going to do this fancy camera trick and you're going to okay. like it. And that that's okay. He, he does it yeah. well. It's a little obvious oh, yeah. to me sometimes. And that's a very douchey thing to say, but we'll roll with it. Um, I mean, Pew's performance is outstanding. One of the better horror performances we'll probably talk about yeah. uh, on this episode. I don't, I'm not particularly drawn to everyone else's performance in the movie. Maybe it's just because Pew is that much better and that much deeper okay. emotionally. I think um, uh, the performance of, of Christian at the end when he's being seduced and I mean, kind of trigger warning, he's, but he's yeah, essentially like he's kind of raped. Um, and it's a. Yeah, no, he is. I yeah. think, I don't yeah. know if we have to say um, kind of. Like, but I, I think, think that performance is, right. is pretty good from him for, <laughs> for such a disturbing scenario. Um, and I, it, it's one of the better final shots right. of any horror movie I've seen in a while. Not only in terms of just the, the, the shot yep. composition and the, the colors that you see from the flower crown, etc., but the expression and emotion that Pew can put on her face to convey like 17 different thoughts and like mental processes is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, 
the story yeah. is the story is pretty good. It, sometimes it just it just bogs itself down with like explaining the cult stuff. Sometimes I don't want to like that's what I love about Hereditary, and that's on my honorable mentions. It's like Hereditary. It just is like mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, you're just like, oh shit, this is a cult, and they're worshiping the devil, and they're resurrecting the devil. Oh my god, what the fuck is happening? Midsommar, it takes its time with plotting yeah. it all out. And that that's okay. And I also just don't think Florence Pugh is right. going to end up as the May Queen in that movie. Like, that just is, like, kind of absurd to me that this stranger is now in charge of their cult, essentially, and can sacrifice people at will. Um, so I'm I'm zagging to your zig, but it is a good movie. I do enjoy it. I, I like Hereditary more, and that's all my auto-mentions that we could talk about a little more later. Um, but Midsommar is, is good for what it is. Okay, fair enough. Good for what it is. I will take that. Um, this is a movie that I've disagreed with people a lot about over the last year and a half. And uh, as I mentioned before, I've told Chip, um, we gave a, we gave each other like top 10 lists, I believe, uh, right, for movies um, last year. And I believe at that time I had it at like three or four. I ended up putting it at three on our podcast um, uh, a couple months ago with Jed. And there's just something about this movie that really just hits me. And part of it is the visual aspect for sure. I mean, you're right. Ari Aster is doing a lot with the camera and he is saying like, Hey, I went to film school. I know how to do cool shit with the camera. Watch me do this shit. Um, Sometimes he's overindulging one time I will say, and it's maybe the coolest shot that I saw all of last year um, outside Mm. of maybe the Irishman, the Irishman had some unbelievable shots, but um, was the, upside down shot in midsummer when they're coming into like the cult in sweden there was just something about it combined with the music that was just unbelievable it was i i i'm still blown away i will go and watch that scene it's just a driving scene and obviously it's based on the opening shot in the shining that overhead scene um but then the way it inverts itself i thought it was a really cool way of being like Yes, I'm doing the same thing that Kubrick did back in the day, but I'm going to change it up just a little bit. And I don't know. That scene was that scene was awesome. But I just wanted to mention that just because such cool camera work. Um, and uh, and I got it. Exactly. Yeah, that... <laughs> he always loves talking about shit like that. So, um, right. Like just his spirit is here with us. Um, but yeah, that's my number four. And I know we're moving. um uh, pretty slow right now. We're really indulging ourselves in these movies. I love it though. Yeah, my so number three is, number is three, another movie Jay. that ended up in my top two or three of 2019, and that's The Lighthouse. And it's an it's another movie that we've danced around. And I, ah, I have a feeling some nice. people are going to object to this being on a horror yeah. list, but I'm going to explain why. I it it is a horror movie, and you know I it's called it horror, horror adjacent in the past, and that's good enough for yeah. me. You know, everyone else, uh, you can yep. uh, you can get fucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Lighthouse is directed by okay. Robert Eggers. I think so. What Robert Eggers knows best is dialogue and atmosphere. That is his his one two punch, and he's landed that punch on these puritanical New England settings. In The Witch, it was the woods, and in Lighthouse, it's this remote island. His next film is a Viking mythological tale. Can't wait to see how he paints a picture of those disturbing exploits. But The Lighthouse, is, it's a black and white film that's yes. much more dull and shadowy as opposed to a more sharp or like closely defined black and white. 
if that makes sense. I think you there, there's just more of an emphasis on the shadows mm-hmm. and on the blurriness of it all. You've got this uh, delirious, unrelenting foghorn yeah. that just builds the tension and the mystery of the island, piercing almost every scene. And then you add the uh, both absurd and poetic dialogue written by Eggers and his brother that Defoe and Pattinson, Willem Defoe and Robert yeah. Pattinson deliver. It's this transformational experience. You are on that island for two hours. It's, I think it was probably one of the better theater experiences of my life as well. You know, it's shot in this almost one-to-one aspect ratio, but to see that on the big screen, you're white knuckling almost the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think I, I watched it again yesterday, and I think I came to realize that Defoe is probably the greater talent and screen presence in this movie. And you, we both love Rob Pat. We, okay, he is one of our. He is we indeed. Uh, He's a fan, and I think that. You know, his character has this duplicitous nature, so he has a bit of a more scattered performance. But this is the Defoe show. His energy is sensational. Uh, it, it peaks at that final yeah. scene where Pattinson has, you know, is trying to bury him alive, and he's throwing dirt onto his face. Like actual mud and blood are scattered all over, all over Defoe's face. And he's continually committed to his performance and delivering this closing uh, poetic sea shanty almost it it never lets up defoe's commitment is is to be applauded i think and i think it does outshine pattinson even though it kind of hurts me to say that uh i think it's interesting that eggers tackles religious legalism and purity in the witch but he cuts his teeth on more superstition and mythology in the lighthouse and we get a much more chaotic Mm. and messy world like the rules aren't so strict eggers can have more fun and, and diabolical fun with the island and with right. our two dear friends' minds. Uh, this movie is very homoerotic. This movie is very gay. Yeah. The chief structure of this island is a lighthouse. It the is. lighthouse is meant to yeah. be a penis. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they all say that. It's a penis. Everyone involved with Can't this get movie away says from it's it. a penis. Uh, there's also a curious look at like yeah. the working class struggle and the chase for wealth and freedom and class mobility. We don't need to dig into all of that. This film succeeds in these moments of Defoe and Pattinson fueled by alcohol and turpine and, and, and uh, oil uh, insanity, especially in that, in that final shot with the distorted screaming of Pattinson as he finally comes to the light. I've, I don't know if I've ever been more affected by a shot in a theater than by, than by that shot with that blown out sound and light. Mm-hmm. I, man, I, I, after all of that, I'm just jealous that I didn't get to see it in the theaters. And I didn't. I didn't make it to it. I got to it late. I've now seen it twice, but both were at home. And I will say it still gives you that visceral, visceral <clears throat> feeling and reaction 100% at home, too. But I really would have loved to have seen it in the theaters. Um, this is a great pick. This This movie is just you know, stepping outside of even horror and stuff, this movie is just really fucking good. And we've talked about it before and, and we're definitely going to do a full episode on the lighthouse because it deserves one. Um, but the, you know, the more you talked about it, I agree. I think Willem Dafoe is the takeaway from this movie because everything that Robert Pattinson does is because of Willem Dafoe. And I think there's a reason that Robert Eggers did that. It's not just because of age. I think there was a sort of like, I don't know if you could call it passing of the torch, but sort of like 
watch me and learn a little bit to this movie. How it's like Robert Pattinson is reacting to Defoe's outburst at dinner. He's at, reacting to his farts at night. He's reacting to Defoe's um, like almost like you're talking about the homoerotic, like almost like rejections of him. And when he's rejecting him from seeing the light, it really gives you the vibes of like rejecting him in like almost a romantic and sexual manner. Um, just because Robert Pattinson's character is very clearly going for, even though he's very quiet, really start yeah. for like connection and especially like just human connection. Um, this is a great movie. I, I love Robert Eggers. He's I had a feeling. A See, later. I knew this was going to uh, happen. Yes. Spoil, um, here. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. This is uh, the we were we were zagging earlier. We're gonna zig here. Um, this is a great pick, just great movie, and uh, I'm glad you got to talk about it. So, um, number three for me after Chip at number three chose the lighthouse. I have a movie that you mentioned earlier, The Conjuring, from 2013, by directed by James Wan. This movie has spawned a franchise or an IP that is, what, like eight, nine movies strong at this point. One movie that was supposed to come out this year actually just got pushed back to 2021. Um, This movie is just really fucking scary. I'm going to start off with that. This movie is actually horrifying. Um, It's probably the scariest movie that I've seen outside of, like, The Exorcist, the grudge a couple of those like og like intensely scary movies this movie just scares me through and through and talk about a great cast patrick wilson bear formiga lily taylor ron livingston these are good actors in this movie especially um formiga and wilson in uh the kind of lead roles as um as like paranormal like almost like ghost hunters you could say um or demon hunters because they don't really believe in ghosts this movie's just so scary. It's actually way better than it probably should have been. It's about, you know, a house that's tormented by or haunted by this, um, you know, witch from the Salem Witch Trials who actually killed the, her kid as a sacrifice and then hung herself and now haunts the house and anyone who lives there. This family moves in and, um, you know, shockingly are haunted. And this movie is just relentless. And that's one of the my favorite things about certain horror movies and this specific scary movie is that from the first night they're in the house to the last scene of the movie, they are being tormented and being haunted. There is not a day that goes by without a scary scene. The demon does not let up. Um, And one more thing that I wanted to, to note, James Wan is like an actual legitimate good director. And he, uh, Early on in the movie, when the when the family first moves into the house that ends up being the haunted house, um, there's a tracking shot that is like about two minutes long and goes through the entire house. You see about six members of the family. They're all moving around. They're moving things into the house. I believe they even have a couple movers there helping them. Um, and it ends in the backyard after starting in the front yard. It's a way better shot than ever deserves to be in a movie like this. Um, but I feel like it just kind of goes to show the bigger picture of like they were actually trying to make something worthwhile while making this movie and whatever the sequels have done since then, you know, uh, discounted this movie itself, The Conjuring. I think yeah, I'm is, glad uh, that we both kind of, kind of classic, picked the, the OGs of these big horror franchises now that are both very important. I mean, 
The Conjuring, it's pure mm-hmm. horror. It's it's that old school haunting horror that uh, exists to to shock and succeeds very very well. I have no plans to ever revisit this movie. It's very well done yeah. and very scary. Never want to watch it again. And I it should be applauded for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. I watched it. Um, I had seen it twice in the past. Hadn't seen it for years. Rewatched it the other night uh, alone in my house. And, um, you know, safe to say it was hard to get to sleep that night. I was hearing everything that was happening outside. It was uh, I was holding holding it in. I had to pee. I was holding it in. Wasn't making a trip to the bathroom. But uh, that's what a movie like this does to you. So um, moving on really hitting like this is the money zone right here. i think number two this is maybe the easiest statement i'll ever make on this podcast but get out is the most important horror movie of the century so far it's it's also on a very short list of the most important films of this century period if i were to come to you evan fagendis in 2012 at you know the height of key and peel substitute teacher east west bowl and I was going to tell you that Jordan Peele of Key and Peele was going to deliver a right. horror masterpiece in less than five years. I don't think you would believe me. I don't think anyone would believe me. Exactly. I, I would have said 100% false. I would have said if he directed a Will Ferrell <laughs> movie, I was in. Exactly. You're 100% right. But here At we that are. Point and we have, we have Get Out. And it's simply, it, it's a masterpiece. It's, yeah unapologetically aware of the time that it's in of the social circumstances of its story. I think it takes the approach of the hammer rather than the scalpel. What I mean by that, it hits you right over the head with exactly what it means in terms of the, uh, the, the, the racial discrimination in this movie. There are casual comments. There are outright racism. There's a fetishization, the racism. It flies from every corner and doesn't pull any punches. Sometimes that's not effective in Get Out. It's both effective and necessary. There are far more people qualified to discuss the exact intricacies of race in this movie. You guys don't hear to hear a white guy discuss <laughs> and give my takes on that. But Daniel Kaluuya in this movie, he's a, he's a revelation. Um, I think if you had seen him, he, he was in an episode of Black Mirror mm-hmm. that I don't have the name of it in front of me. But he you can see the seeds maybe of what Peel was looking at when he cast him in this movie, because it's it's at the end of the day, a pretty sorrowful performance. Like the movie is very funny. There there are a lot of uh, uncomfortably funny moments, I right. would say, that you, you laugh at um, the movie, you know, basically eviscerates the standard white liberal <laughs> like the the quote from bradley whitford right. i would have ob- voted for obama three times if i could have is probably the most like stinging line to every single <laughs> standard white liberal oh my god legendary it's like literally like yes. it's gonna go down 100 like it's it's a stroke Hillary of genius but um, but Coming back to Kaluuya, it's have you have you seen the alternate ending for this film, like the official one on YouTube? Mm-hmm. So okay. I know all about it. I've heard all about it. I've never watched it. I've sure. been afraid sure. to watch. So it. it's I it's just, pretty easy to find the official alternate ending. That was like it was actually filmed. There's a you can find it on its own and also with a director's mm-hmm. commentary from Peel um, to discuss why it wasn't used. 
And I, it's probably the right call because the ending becomes much darker. I think it might, that scene might be Kaluuya's best acting in the entire film. It takes that, that sorrow and that kind of regretful pain, but also a little bit of pensive victory to a new level. I mean, that, that ending the, in the actual film, as he's driving away in that TSA car and, you know, Every every joke that Rel is bouncing off of him is just not landing at all because of the, the nightmare that he, that, that he just experienced. And as he drives away, he just has those those eyes are just screaming in pain and in sorrow, but in in relief and release as well. I, I, you can't even describe it. It's it's pure genius. Like I said, it's a revelation. I think that every sequence that takes place in the sunken place is incredible filmmaking, you know, to see uh, essentially a TV screen in his mind as he falls back and the movie becomes like, it turns into like a gravity or like a 2001 space odyssey type thing where everything's moving slowly and the camera is, is incredibly still and focused. And when it does move, it's like inches and inches at a time, just barely. It it does feel very Kubrick-esque. I love that you can hear the teardrops mm-hmm. kind of falling from his eyes as he becomes hypnotized. Um, I haven't really talked about the story a lot just because it is, it's so in the culture now, you know, and it be- right. Like if you haven't seen exactly. this movie and, and even if you haven't, you know so much about it, you're guaranteed right to, because it's, it's in the lexicon. It's, it's become, you know, it's become yeah, memed true. in some ways, but also just generally understood and and acknowledged by so many people um the uh, also this is the the tiniest thing but the opening credits it takes place over just a single tracking shot of the woods you know from a car that's driving by and i don't know why but that delights me so much it feels very 70s it's very simple it's one take of just you know just Mm -hmm. like you what you would see driving through the woods if you rolled the window down and it just has get out and list every single actor and player and everything. And it's very effective to me. And I don't know why that stood out on this watch, but I just need to acknowledge it because I loved it. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know, that the beginning of that movie and that and that very quick title sequence, um, it really does just get you into the movie. Like what it feels like to me is the people who made it were like, we made a really sick movie. We're not going to play around with different things leading up to it. Like, we want to show you what we need to show you, and then we're going to have you watch this movie. Because I've always thought the same thing. It's really cool how they do that, and they go right into it. The music is great. Um, Honestly, I don't need to say almost anything more about this movie. You summed it up perfectly. This is one of the probably five to seven best movies of this century. Um I think some could argue that it, it's in the running for top three of the century. Um, I only didn't put it on my list because I basically cheated oh, and what? said I'm not going to consider it a, a horror movie. That because I was just like I'm put I'd put it at number one automatically. So here's my thing: Is this movie that different than like Seven? It gives you the feeling, but the, okay, this is me copying out. Because I I just had other movies that I wanted to talk about, and I knew we'd get to this movie really soon um, on, like, a single pod or something. But does this movie – so this movie is, like, 100% horror. 
Because this is a big I, conversation. Yeah, this is a horror movie. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> like, this, of course, this is different than Seven. They're, they, they, they get down to the nitty gritty, and they're going to show you the the messed up shit. They're going to show you like the the hip the the hypnotization is you know something out of uh, a much darker uh, witchcraft movie almost. Um, I mean, it shows he he literally gores the dude with the antlers from the deer. <laughs> in the room that he escapes from. So I, this is absolutely a horror movie. Um, he does. Yeah. I think that little things like the, the tropes of the deer that like pops up multiple times throughout the movie, I think is a, is a horror trope that, that, that we need to acknowledge. Um, also, since I'm, since I'm talking again, I'm going to keep talking. Um, Caleb Landry Jones in this movie is probably the scariest character. And he plays, yeah, he plays the, uh, the son and um, that that dinner scene where he's talking to Clea mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, you could be in the UFC oh. and all this other shit." That I don't think I was more scared in the movie than I was. Yeah. There. And uh, oh, just a manic performance. And something I found out: Caleb Landry Jones, he played one of the two kids that came up to Javier Bardem at the the end of No Country for Old Men and got the shirt from. That's him. That was his first role. Trivia for you. Trivia. Wow. I'm blown away by that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Because I love him, and he's starting to pop up in more and more stuff. But I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a huge Bradley Whitford fan. But outside of Daniel Kalua, that that dinner scene performance is unbelievable. Jesus. It, I mean, when he's doing that, like, have you ever been a fighter, man? Like that stuff. It, he goes, you got the body yeah. for it. Like it is really, it gears you up for what's to come. It yes. almost, it almost goes so far that it gives away what's going to come. And not that it's like a huge surprise, but he's almost doing such a good job that you're like, like right away, you're like, oh, this is fucked up. Like this dude is like, his life is in danger. No doubt about it. It's really interesting how that happened, but I completely agree. He was awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I'm copping out. I'm copping out. You're probably right. 100% it could be considered a horror. Right. Um, but it's also one of the five best movies of probably like our lifetime. So I uh, I saved it myself. So I cheated, but Chip got us in there. I'm glad we got to talk about that. Get Out, one of the best. If you haven't seen Get Out, please go see Get Out. It is so good. Um, mm-hmm. So moving on, my number. Wow, you had it a number two. I just realized that. Okay. Oh wow. Um, so my number two is Train to Busan from 2016, directed by Yan Sang Ho. Um, this is a Korean movie, South Korean movie, um, s- essentially centered around a huge zombie outbreak, and it's a, a father and his his young daughter traveling on a train to Busan, um, as you can imagine. And as like the zombie outbreak, somebody infected is ends up on the train and people on the train get infected. And it's basically about them trying to survive this like hour and 20 minute train ride um, with a bunch of infected zombies on the train. It is everything that you could want from, you know, other movies like The Host, Parasite, um, Memories of Murder, even a little bit. Uh, there's an incredible genre mixing that these Korean directors do. And um, Yan Sang Ho, uh, you know, idolizes Bong Joon-ho um, and talks about him a lot in his, in his press tours and stuff like that. 
Um, but the way it moves from like almost drop dead funny to like heart pounding action, this movie is as close as I could possibly, um, you know, describe to like a Schwarzenegger or a Sly Stallone or even like a Jason Statham movie or something as far as like fast paced action. Um, there's a couple different things. There's a massive train crash there or yeah, train crash. Um, there's a scene with, uh, like 150 zombies hanging on the back of a train while it's going. Uh, there's some great visual effects in this movie. Um, wow. This movie is just, it plays with, you know, the stereotypes around scary movies as far as like the rich douchebag, um, you know, the kind of like, uh, like lower socioeconomic, but like funny and hard nosed, like guy, um, like the wife of the rich douchebag, like it plays on all this stuff really well. Um, and it's definitely making fun of each of those characters in their own right. Like it really, it, there's no punching down. They're punching everyone square. Nice. In the face. I actually haven't seen um, this. Uh, this this is just a freaking, wild this is ride. a glaring hole in my resume. And I know that, and I I've heard nothing but great praise and hearing you talk about it and, and hearing you kind of cite that, that bong influence makes me very excited to watch it. Yeah, it is very much in line with um, what Bong does in his movies as far as really oscillating wildly between like almost like Three Stooges type comedy to like Noah Baumbach type drama. It's really impressive how they're how he's able to do it. And it really speaks to, um, you know, the different audience in Korea, like their audience from what I've read, it's just much more accustomed to movies that don't fit a certain genre versus America where, you know, a scary movie has a couple of laughs and people are really just like, kind of, what's going on here? Like, are we calling this a horror comedy? Like, they don't look at it, it doesn't seem like in the same way of like, does it have to fit into these two zones? Or what does it do that these other movies doesn't do? It's just like, if we can do something that's cool, let's do it. But this is a this is a great movie. Um, highly suggested to you and anyone who's listening. Uh, Train to Busan, number two. So Chip, now we're to. I'm your gonna do something one. I'm what not allowed to do. Favorite horror movie, right. Post two thousand. I'm gonna use a movie directed by a director I've already talked about, and I'm gonna talk about the movie Black Swan, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Uh-oh. Yeah. Wow! This movie, it, Hell uh, yeah. 2010, Darren oh, Aronofsky directed the movie one. Black Swan. It is essentially a double movie because it's also an opera. Um, it takes place. It it's oh man, I, I literally get like tripped up talking about this movie because I almost think that the less I say about it, like the less you know about it going in, the better, because of how magnificent the interlocking story is with the opera that it centers around but it is a story of natalie portman who is a young and you know upcoming ballet dancer who is interested in the role of the swan queen in Mm -hmm. in the in the performance swan lake and every character in the film has a corresponding role within that opera within that within that play and it's very fun to see how they come to embody those characters. And the movie does a good job of showing you what those characters are instead of telling. 
because you know it could fall into the trap so easily of saying this is Natalie Portman. She is playing this character in the movie, and that character is this character in the opera. This is her mother. She is this character in the movie, this character in the opera. It lets it right. play out through their personalities and through some incredible acting. Uh, Mila Kunis is in this movie. Vincent Castle is in this movie. Barbara Hershey is in this movie. Winona Ryder. Sebastian Stan shows up for five minutes. And every performance is so loaded and has to take on at least – every performance has to take on at least two different meanings and sometimes three for all of the uh, the allegories and, and parallels within the opera. Right. I think that one of the most, maybe the most important element of a great horror film is the sound design. And I think that Black Swan is the most sterling example of that in a horror movie this century. I think of like the opening dance number, dance number, excuse me. The camera's flying in. It's showing the bones of her feet cracking. It's showing the extreme close-ups. And as the camera gets close, you hear her breathing fast. The camera pulls away. You don't hear the breathing as much. And very personal, very intimate. Natalie Portman's prepping her shoes. She's she's using mm-hmm. a lighter to, to burn them and, and, and assemble them. There's cutting and crunching and there's twisting. And you're going to hear every little uh, audio wave that's happening in these scenes and it sucks you in and it it almost it's yeah. such a cliche to say this but you can feel the pain you know when she's uh getting her ankles cracked ready for a performance um the camera work is sensational there's an astonishing use of yeah. mirrors in this film that plays right into the characters playing multiple people in the movie and in the opera. There's a great shot of Thomas, who's Vincent Castle in the dance studio. He's discussing how the swan character has to play both the black and the white swan. <clears throat> Excuse me. And his face is perfectly split between these two mirrors. It's on, I think my jaw dropped the first time I saw that. And like, I actually understood what was going on. The, the, the layers of that, the camera might be positioned facing Thomas who's watching Portman dancing in a mirror and the focus is going to go in and out between him in the foreground and Portman's reflection dancing in the background. It just plays with this back and forth. It's so much fun and it, it engages you. It forces you to, to be so much more drawn into this movie there. The, the horror in this movie is couched and like encircled yeah. by these elements of opera and these traditional feminine tropes of dance of pinks and lace and scarves that, that Portman wears. There's the contrast between her room, which is very much like a, like a little girl's room. And you know, that's stylized by her and by her controlling mother. You contrast that with Tomas office, which is almost completely black, like upsettingly black. The colors just extremely pop. There's a, there's, there's themes of shame and release and sexuality mm-hmm. You know, there's some trigger warnings of abuse and, and and pain that come with rising in this world of stardom. It's not a movie that wants to give you a lot of answers or solutions or even uh, justice because there there's a lot of hurt and pain perpetrated by these characters. And there's not a sense of comeuppance or of, uh, you know, justice, things coming full circle all that matters in the end of this movie is the performance that Natalie Portman gives. And all that matters is it was perfect. And it, it ends mm-hmm. in, in heartbreak. Yes. It doesn't end in injustice in this world, in this mind of Aronofsky that he has built. All that matters is the beauty and the perfection of the completed art. It's very, it's, it's stunning, man. Like I'm, I'm totally rambling. I feel like, 
this is one of those movies where my notes for this were so much looser because I, I still struggle with like wrapping my mind around it and like how to, how to explain how, how beautiful and perfect this movie is. But yeah, it is, it's the most beautiful horror movie I've ever seen. And perhaps the most sad when it comes to the end. I agree. I completely agree. I, first of all, I love this movie. This this was on my honorable mentions. Um, and definitely as far as like if I would have said like the best movies, not counting like the, you know, the scare factor, a hundred percent, this would probably be at like number one or two. Um, I just didn't include sure. it because I wanted to talk about like some movies like The Country and that just like absolutely scare the shit out of you. Um, this movie is just really really good like it's just the first time you watch it first of all the first time i watch it i didn't get it at all but i was just like wow i know that was really good and i need to revisit it like right away i saw it in the theaters and it was like i need to i need to get this movie when it comes out on dvd and watch this so i know what happened and like how to feel about it um natalie portman i think you mentioned just unbelievable performance from her in this movie uh the camera work is incredible. And I think it kind of leads into mother. It's yes. Aronofsky clearly is most comfortable in the uncomfortable. He really, really gets up close and personal, both visually and, um, sure. That works. Um, auditorily Aud- auditorily. Is that how you say? It? Yeah, sure. Uh, audio lead. I don't know. Whatever. Through uh, your eyes and your ears, he really gets up close and personal and will not look away, will not flinch. Um, And I think that adds to and what makes this movie 100% like a horror movie because it like you're hearing and you're seeing all the actual quote unquote like horror that's happening to the characters. You are living it. Um, This is a great pick. I'm so glad you picked this. You really threw me for a curveball. I was not. You were thinking. You you were thinking the witch, probably director that you've already talked about. I was not thinking Black Swan, Um, but this is a great. I'm great on Black Swan. Um, I was thinking the witch. Yeah, I'm great on Black Swan. And are you are you good on Black Swan? Okay, you gave a great description. You gave a great description, and uh, the reason that I asked was because your comment leads directly into my number one. And my number one, and quite possibly my favorite scary movie ever, The Witch. From 2015, yep, Uh, Chip was throwing up the W. The Witch, 2015, written and directed by our boy Robert Eggers, who also did The Lighthouse that that Chip talked about, and I believe number three. And um, this movie stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph uh, Ineson, Ineson, I'm not exactly sure how he pronounces his name, and Kate Dickey. this movie is, and it sounds stupid, and I've said this before, I hate doing this, this is such a Twitter thing, but this movie is a mood. It This movie gives off an actual aura. Like, through the sounds that you're hearing, through the visuals that you're getting, before anything even remotely scary actually happens on the screen, you know there's something behind the curtain. Like, there's just something lurking, there's something waiting for you, and it's Part of the way is because they're utilizing the forest. And I think the forest, um, when used the right way, really gives me that feeling of like, what can, behind, what can be behind that next set of trees? Like, I'm seeing what's in front of me, but 20 feet in front of that. What, what's back there? 
Um, and this movie does that throughout the entire movie. Um, I've talked about it before on this podcast, but the sign or the scene um, when the baby gets snatched from Anya Taylor-Joy's uh, almost her hands. I mean, she's playing hide and go seek with this baby who's a foot in front of her face. Um, when it when it is gone in the middle of this pasture, you know, 200 yards away from the forest, it's really terrifying. Um, the way they're speaking in old, like, Puritan uh, uh, dialect is almost more terrifying. And, and Chip, you talked about it earlier. We both come from, like, a religious schooling and religious background. And um, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm going to speak for myself and say, you know, that's part of my past i'm not currently um very religious right now so watching this movie really gives me some flashbacks and terrifies me in what types of beliefs were true back then and are still true today um this movie just one it's incredibly well made and it is like that capital m movie like i think oscar worthy type movie and it also scares the absolute shit out of me um, and I know I, I could go on forever about this movie. I've talked about it before. Absolutely. I mean, the, the truth is, is this movie like probably said, deserved to be on my list, but I knew for a fact it would probably be close to the top on yours. So I wanted to let you run with it. It, it is so well made. The, the craft that yeah. is displayed from every single person involved in this film, uh, from the direction, the, the costuming, the, the, the set design, it is, it's sensational. It's, it's, pure horror at its best Great call. um i mm-hmm. think that the ending when when you do finally come to realize the stakes and the the level of uh evil that is involved in this movie is one of the better horror climaxes you'll see yeah. in, in terms of escalation almost out of nowhere <laughs> uh, yeah the literal fucking devil, yeah. in in the form of in the form the of literal a goat, fucking devil. Uh, I think I saw somewhere <laughs> that goat was in another movie as well, which I feel like bringing. Yeah. I feel like bringing that goat onto another set is going to bring some bad vibes. You know, you know I heard those cursed thing. set kind of things. I was <laughs> exactly, yeah. That is a. Uh... I know you like this movie a lot. Um, I appreciate that you uh, you left it for my list. And, and of course, I'm going to add this movie. This is, I mean, to be perfectly honest um, with you, Chip, and with, with all the listeners out there, this is one of my, you know, probably like 30, top 30 movies ever. I just, there's something about this movie that just moves me so much. And part of it is just being horrified. Part of it is, the screenplay just being absolutely incredible, especially the more and more I see it and the more and more I get past, like, yes, the first time I didn't understand what they were saying because they're speaking in this old, um, like new American dialect, um, but, or old English, I guess it would be, I, I say new American because it's the newest Americans, but they're speaking old English. Um, it, it, there's just something about it that seems so, genuine and like you said everyone involved in this movie went freaking all out like everyone who designed the costumes everyone who must have worked with Eggers for him to really figure out what this dialect was and how these people spoke and how they would have acted towards each other um the acting I believe is is amazing and Anya Taylor-Joy 
is going to be somebody who I truly believe we're going to be talking about in that like Sir Ronan, Florence Pugh, like next up and coming superstar um, actor or actor out there. Um, everything came together in this movie. I, I truly love listening to Robert Eggers talk about this movie because he clearly thinks very highly of it and is very proud of it. And I'm so glad he is because it's, it's so good. Um, and anyone who says this movie is not a horror movie yep. can absolutely fuck off because this movie is literally terrifying. If you say it's not, I, I just don't believe you. I, I understand you don't see a monster in front of your face in this movie, but this movie is utterly terrifying. And if you don't think it is, go rent a cabin or something out in some woods without, you know, a house within the next couple hundred yards. And uh, and then get back to me after that. And if you can still say it's not scary, then I'll believe you. But this movie is actually terrifying. So I, uh, I'm glad we got to talk about The Witch. I'm glad you brought up so many movies that I wanted to talk about, didn't get a chance to. Um, First of all, I want to talk about honorable mentions. And then yeah, so my number five was the, the first well, Saw actually, movie. First, my number four is Mother. Five, point. My number three is The Lighthouse, To Get Out, and Top yep. Dog was Black Swan. <laughs> awesome. That's a beautiful list. Um, we had no, I have to mention too, before I say my top five, we had no overlap. So glad I believe that's so the first time that. ever on this podcast that we've had no overlap on a top five. So shout out to us. I know, me too. So my top five, starting at five, The Strangers, four, Midsommar, three, The Conjuring, two, Train to Busan, one, The Witch. Um, after these top fives, I guarantee you, everyone, um, lots of these movies made a shit ton of money. Um, some of them did not. Some of them hardly made. Uh, Train to Busan, I believe, only made like $2.5 million in, in – uh, um north america so give them a watch give them give them a chance at least you know check them out uh anything you haven't seen watch it let us know what you think um but these are great movies chip i want to go to you first give me like well it's funny because i had four and my other two were, were the strangers really and the like witch and we got to dialogue about that mentions. so I'm, I'm glad you did. so i'll do my other two um hereditary hereditary rules that movie fucking hard awesome. as shit i love I love that Ari Aster, he has yep. a twisted Wonderful version of movie. the nuclear family. You see it in the old so minutes scary. in Midsommar. If you watch the short film, The Strange Things About the Johnsons, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, right. I think it's The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Maybe it's the Robinsons. Oh, Robinsons. Oh, man. Right? That movie is demented. I can't even imagine what his family okay. values like, right. he was exposed no, 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 to in, in right. his life it's never been sharper than in hereditary it's, it's a god level tony collette performance seeing that family come apart up. that movie's terrifying and then i want to give a shout out to a film that came out this year in in an in an upside down year uh the invisible man yeah i think that the arc of lee winnell who directed this movie is very cool he is in the ah. the first saw movie he has his hands in yeah. – he's probably the most essential figure to mainstream American horror for his writing, production, and directing credits. They are everywhere in the Saw and Insidious franchises. I think that The Invisible Man is a new level for him as a writer and director. It seems more polished and mature. He's telling yeah. the story of Elizabeth Moss as a survivor. It's a very traumatic yep. and dark film. But uh, uh, this is a spoiler. There's an ending that brings a very powerful uh, and satisfying closure – 
to the genre of horror that I don't think horror always has. And, you know, walking out of that theater, you kind of had a little bit of hope. And it's very mm-hmm. rare that you leave a, a true horror movie with hope and, and justice being served. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Great, um, great honorables. Love that you mentioned some of those. Kind of jumping off of that, a couple I wanted to mention. First, I have to mention, because um, you ju- you were just bringing up, you know, people who have really contributed to the genre over the last 15, 20 years. Yep. One person I have to mention, yep. um, Jason Blum. Blumhouse really pumps out horror movies, and they are committed to it. Like, they give people money to make these movies. And, yeah, they don't give them a lot of it, but they give them money to make these movies. Um, yes. Uh, you know, a couple that come to mind. The first purge, um, hush is a great one. Like the these are movies that are made on very small budgets um, that just really do a lot for you. Like it's really hard to make a movie on a million and a half dollars to reach a wide audience. It's one thing you know you can make those small movies and like um, student movies stuff like that for for less than a million dollars and they're great. You know they can be very good, but to make movies of this quality on that low budget is really cool. He really empowers people. So I I had to give him a shout out. Um, A couple that I wanted to mention that are really, I feel, in my opinion, just important to the 2000s period. First is The Host. I watched it for the first time yesterday. I I messaged Chip about it. It's Bong Joon-ho's movie from, I believe, 2006. It's a monster movie. Very good. Um, A couple that are real, like, trendsetters in the 2000s, in my opinion. Paranormal Activity, the original, I will say probably the scariest first time viewing of any movie ever, just because of the time of my life that I saw it um, and what this movie does to you as far as like it legitimately looks like it could be being filmed in like your uncle's house or something like that. Like it is really feels like found footage. Um, Insidious is the other one. Because Patrick Wilson gets so much credit for The Conjuring, which is amazing and has turned into, you know, uh, like basically a billion dollar um, franchise in itself. But Insidious was where he started. That was 2010. That movie is sick. Um, And then the last one, 28 Days Later. I really was bummed that I couldn't put that. This was my number six. Um, 28 Days Later, Cillian Murphy uh, stars in this movie. Brendan Gleeson stars in this movie. It's a zombie movie from like 2002 um, set in England. And it's basically just like a guy goes into a coma because he gets hit by a bus and a crazy virus uh, takes over uh, London and all of England, essentially. Um, And within 28 days, almost the entire country is wiped out at the time. They don't know if it goes beyond the country, another continent, um, whatever, but especially rewatching it the other day in this certain time period, you know, we're all wearing masks. There's a pandemic going on. We've had, you know, 200 plus thousand people die. Um, it, it really hit home. Like it was really um, prescient in what can happen when something like this completely goes unchecked. Obviously it's like yeah, extended for movie purposes. Um, but this is a very good movie, very haunting movie. Um, but those are my honorable mentions. So, now, we uh, we still haven't even figured out who's given an, uh, uh, a hot take here, but we're going to do it. 
Yes, Chip says he's got it. So moving on, we are going to go to Hot Take Corner. Yes, I agree. Um, and of course, we're giving ourselves credit, but that's what we're here to do. We're, we're putting on a hell of a show here. Um, but going into Hot Take Corner, that's what we're here for. Chip has this this week, and honestly, I love giving hot takes to Chip. Um, he's got a little grin on his face. I'm almost a little worried about what he's going to say to me right now, but he's always got a h- good hot take in him. Um, I need so to. Chip, I need to preface this hot yours. take because what is your I like Mike Flanagan as a horror, horror movie director. I like Hush quite a bit. Uh, Gerald's Game is a trigger warning movie that's very good. I love his uh, The Haunting okay. series. I haven't seen the new season, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Doctor Sleep. Is not very yeah. good. It's not. It, it's not very good. Not at all. And uh, I. Yep. He had an impossible task. Yeah. He had to nope. balance the Shining nope. movie universe with a Shining book universe with a Doctor Sleep book universe, and to bring those together with Stephen King basically watching over yeah. his shoulder the entire time, I can't imagine how difficult that was. And. Flanagan, like all of us, idolizes King. That's his inspiration. He's made, you know, many movies after him, uh, both directly and, you know, just influenced by. And I like Ewan McGregor quite a bit. And I think that he does the best he can with the script. And I think that the potential is there. Oh, he's so great. The potential is there for such a uh, really tough look on the father-son relationship, which if you know me, that's that's both a trigger and something I seek out because I'm a fucked up individual. Um, but shout out father <laughs> issues, man. Um, I hear the ya. movie just doesn't work. Shout it tries to do bro. way too much to pull from too many different places, from too many different inspirations. I think that the, uh, the heavily CGI yeah. shining movie universe characters that he brings back into the film at the end, it's just too cheeky. It doesn't, it doesn't even look realistic. Like the, like, they're not necessarily CGI, I should say, but you know, the the, the makeup and everything, it just doesn't it just doesn't look right. No. And I, I can't explain it. And I they're not scary. No, exactly. It's like there's so many long takes of him walking through the overlook, scary? and it's like, okay, like they're not this is not scary. helping the movie. All this is serving is to call back to a movie that we all love. I'm just gonna go watch a shining if we're gonna do that. Because I love right. the shining. Right. Exactly. I completely agree. Um, wow. I, you know, I, I love this. He's going to more of a hot corner than me. This movie just flat out sucks. Like, I'm going to cut. Like, this movie just is not good. Like, I, and I was, I was so excited for it when it was coming out. Because as all of us are, you know, um, film nerds or whatever you want to call us, The Shining is like, right near the pinnacle as far as like what can movies do what can they be what can a great director do um regardless you know irregardless of how he goes about making it like what type of product can we put out um and so coming into this movie and like you said ewan is a fucking star like i love ewan mcgregor i think he's great and this movie just actually sucked and you know i am stealing something from him i know i talked about him earlier in the podcast but bill simmons kind of talked about one time on the rewatchables how you walk out of godfather three 
And after seeing it in theaters, he like tried to do the thing where you like talk yourself into it. And you're like, no, nah, no, nah, maybe it was good. Maybe it was good. I literally couldn't even do that for this movie. I was like, no, I know this movie is not good. This movie is just missed. I. It's very strange to me. It seemed like the baseline for this movie was still going to be so much better than what it came out to be just because of the the source material that it was it was borrowing from but man yeah. I, and I, I made an effort to go watch the director's really, cut i haven't and thought it, about it this movie in a while it didn't help it didn't help no i'm ashamed to um, say yeah didn't help <laughs> mike didn't have the idea that got that got destroyed that by, uh, by the studio and you're right mike flanagan is awesome gerald's game is sick i love that movie um Ouija, it's fucked up it, we origin of evil i love that movie hush i love that movie oculus even really good movie i like oculus a lot scares the shit out of me um so yeah real big miss by him i i gotta add on right before we go my last hot take um and i don't know if it's that much of a hot take but i just wanted to mention it because we haven't mentioned this movie my hot take is the best movie that we haven't mentioned that we wouldn't have even I'll, thought yeah, to mention. Yeah, that movie does rip. If we're going to go in Dead. that direction, I'm going to pick Shaun of the Dead. I think that movie Dead. rips. Oh, yeah, that 100%. And I will say, I know you it's, you you shit on it a little bit earlier, but I will say Cabin in the Woods is yes, a favorite yeah. of mine. And so, Cabin in the Woods is I'm just too much of a, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Do you see what we we're doing? So Do you funny. see the jokes we are making? And that's it, mm-hmm. it was fun, but that's, that's about it. Yep. Right. Right. I hear you. Um, awesome. Well, Chip, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to add on to the horror genre? We uh, we had a nice long episode. Um, here. I'm gonna stay up late time, tonight, and I'm probably gonna watch Train Busan, and I'm probably you, gonna I might rewatch it any time because that might be my most watched movie of all time because it's something I can just put on over and over again um, because I am a, a movie douchebag. Um, watch watch horror movies, yep. give them a chance. There is a lane of horror movie that you will find that you will like. It might be a small lane, it might be a big lane. But if uh, watch horror movies, explore, find something you like. Couldn't agree more. Um, my friend Chip said it the best anyone could. Just watch these movies. Just watch them. Give them a chance. If you have to, you know, turn away during the scary scenes, put some fingers over your face whatever you have to do do it it doesn't matter like miss the actual like scariest of the scary scenes i promise you you will get a rush out of watching these movies um and be opened up to more movies moving forward um but i'm really excited about the list that we put together chip i couldn't agree more i'm glad to hear you're watching train to busan i'm actually about to go watch um what am I going to watch it? Oh, Black Swan. I was just thinking about it. I didn't rewatch that for this because I honestly didn't quite think about it in the horror context. And I should have. Um, this is an excellent movie. I'm definitely going to give it a watch uh, tonight to, to revisit it. Um, other than that, I think we had a good one. Uh, Chip, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today.